We are into week two of our discipleship campaign, The Gospel, Living the Good News of Jesus Christ. This week, Pastor Rich Murphy has done an outstanding job in our devotional of helping us to understand the grace of God as it relates to our salvation, as it relates to what it really means to be sanctified, to be set apart for God, and to learn to live that way. We're also learning how His grace sustains us and even how it carries us all the way through to the end of this salvation process because the good news ends up in not only Christ being more glorified, but we being glorified with Him. And so this week in your devotional book, you're going to be dealing with a lot of theological terms. Many of you have been working on that already this week. And as we get into the message today, we want to be reminded that God's grace, this unmerited favor that He's extended to us, is a gift from God. It helps us not only to believe and understand the gospel, but a grace that we can rely on as God continues to work in us and through us to share it and live it out with a lost and hurting world. If you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to turn to me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. And we're going to be looking today at the gospel and grace. We are in week two of this, and uh, the gospel is really good news, but it comes to us by God's grace, and Paul talks about it specifically here in the book of Ephesians. By the way, I've been mentioning in the services that if you're a Christian that wants to ride the fence, I mean, you don't really want to be committed to Christ, you're just kind of riding the fence, you won't want to read the book of Ephesians. It's a fence-knocking book. Uh, the first, first three chapters tell you what a real Christian is. The last three chapters tell you how real Christians live. A Christian is a person who has Christ living in them and a person who has Christ living through them. It's pretty, pretty amazing stuff. And in Ephesians 2, as a word of great encouragement, he reminds us where we were and where we are now because of God's grace. And here's the way he puts it in Ephesians 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God not by works, so that no one can boast. For we were, excuse me, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. Father, there's only one teacher we need to hear today, and that's you. Your word is truth. This grace is more amazing than we know. It has saved us, it sustains us, and it will bring us home to your glory. Help us today to realize again, it's not about us, it's all about you. The gospel. 
and that by your grace we might live the good news of Jesus Christ. And we'll thank you for all that you'll show us in Jesus' name. Amen. It may be hard to believe in today's politically correct world, but where I grew up in New England, um, some of my friends went to a parochial school. It wasn't even uncommon to happen once in a while at a public school. That if you were out of line, the teacher might whack you across the knuckles with a ruler. Well, today they'd probably go to jail for that, but back then it was a deterrent. I was reading about a a boy in middle school who attended a parochial school, and apparently he had a propensity to get in trouble. He was at the principal's office once again, and the principal asked him, how many times have you been to my office? The boy said, not enough, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And you've gotten the belt each time. They would wrap the belt across the bad kid's knuckles. Yeah, and I can take whatever you dish out. The principal pauses for a moment to think, and then, they, then he quietly says, today, you're going to learn about grace. So the boy asks, you going to let me walk? The principal says, yep, I'm going to let you walk. The boy studies the face of the principal, and he says, so no punishment at all. Oh, there has to be punishment, the principal said. What you did was wrong, and there are always consequences to our actions. I knew it, said the boy. And he held out his hands to take a beating. The principal takes off his belt. He folds it in two and hands it to the boy's teacher. And he tells the boy, I want you to count the blows. And then the principal stuck out his two hands and he told the teacher, ten strokes. And he said to the boy, I want you to count every one. And so the teacher winds up and whacks the back of the principal's hands and they immediately turn red. By the time he gets to the fourth stroke, the boy can't take it anymore, and he's yelling out, Stop! Stop! I can't take it! Stop! But the principal says, Ten strokes. And so there the boy stands counting them. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. principal stood there, sweat glistening on his foreheads, and his hands now swollen and red. And he takes one of those swollen red hands, and he puts it on the shoulder of that boy, and he says to them, to him, that's grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is when we are given what we don't deserve. Honestly, there's no one here today less deserving of grace than me. And there is no one more gracious than God. This week, Pastor Rich, in his very insightful devotionals, I hope you go back through them a couple times. I have. I learn each time I go over it again. He quoted J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. The grace of God is love freely shown towards guilty sinners, contrary to their merit and indeed in defiance of their demerit. 
It is God showing goodness to persons who deserve only severity and had no reason to expect anything but severity. You see, the gospel is the good news of what the death, burial, resurrection, and appearing of Jesus has accomplished for us. And the gospel is the good news of the grace that makes that possible. We are in week two of our discipleship campaign, the gospel, living the good news of Jesus Christ. Last week, we learned that the gospel is simple. It is the message of good news, the death, burial, resurrection, and appearing of Jesus. And we are learning all the ways that that gospel message has ramifications in our lives. It is a message to be proclaimed. It is a message to be lived out. And it's a message that can be lived and believed only by the grace of God. Pastor Rich taught us this week that the meaning of the word grace is even hard to simply define. In fact, he said, obviously, a simple definition of the word, Greek word grace cannot adequately communicate how very incredible God's grace really is, nor can any definition adequately communicate the experiential and transformational possibilities of God's grace. He went on to say, we can't possibly understand or experience the fullness of life that Jesus came to give us without clearly understanding and experiencing the fullness of God's grace through the gospel. The word grace is used so casually, he said, and routinely by Christians that the immensity of its full potential to transform sinners into saints has been severely muted. Grace is, he said, a lot more than God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is a lot more than God's unmerited favor towards wrath-deserving sinners. Grace is a lot more than just amazing. Which is why Paul told the Ephesian church that life begins with grace, is sustained by grace, and life is completed into eternity by God's grace. Which is why Paul shares with these Ephesians that the gospel of Jesus Christ reveals the good news of God's grace. What is the good news of God's grace? People, this is overwhelming. Think of this. Paul said, the good news is we were given life when we deserved death. We were given love when we deserved wrath. And we were given heaven with Jesus when we deserved hell without him. The gospel is the good news of God's grace that gives us life when we deserved death. Paul put it like this in verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Dead things can't do anything to save themselves. I first saw him about 10 days ago. It might have been a her, I'm not sure. It was pretty squished in the road. It was a poor possum who apparently picked a bad time to cross the street. I saw him when I was out jogging. He must have been hit fairly recently the first time I saw him because he was still fairly well intact but clearly dead. And over the days that I went jogging past him, he got flatter and flatter and flatter until just the other day when I went, 
He looked like a possum rug. He was just a fur, flat, squat down. I mean, there was nothing much left between him and the, and the pavement. Now, when you see a possum hit like that in the road, dead, you may ask yourself, why would it just lay there and allow itself to get squished even flatter? Well, the answer is obvious. He keeps laying there because of the first part. He's dead. <laughs> and dead things can't do anything to save themselves. People, Paul told the Ephesian church and the Ephesian Christians, the reason you can't save yourself is you're dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. That's a message the world doesn't want to hear. Satan doesn't want them to hear it. People don't want to be told they're powerless to do anything to save themselves, but we are. We need God's grace because we are dead in our sins and we do not deserve to live. Paul said in verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. That's Satan himself. All of us all lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. I love this part. Larry, you were in your sin, but in Christ you are no longer. You were dead and separated from God, but in Christ you are no longer. By your sin and rebellion against God, you deserve to die, but in Christ you will no longer. It's all by God's grace. I couldn't do anything to bring about that change. I was spiritually dead. And that's where salvation begins, when we recognize how dead we really are. See, the Bible teaches us that God created man in his image, making him body, soul, and spirit. The body is our earth suit that carries us around. It is getting older, it is feeble, it's subject to disease, one day it's gonna die. The soul is the real us inside of here, our personality, it's what makes us us. That's eternal. What's up for grabs is where it's gonna spend eternity and the quality of it. The spirit is the unique part of man. It's what sets us apart from the animal world. Our spirit was designed to be alive and connect with God's spirit so that we would have life. God is life. To be connected to God is to have life. Spiritually, when that separation comes, you are dead. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they died that day. Their body didn't die. Their soul didn't die. It was their spirit that died. And since that time, humanity has inherited a dead spirit. That's what sin does. It kills us spiritually. That's why you can find people today trying to find the meaning of life to their body and in themselves, their own desires. That's why people can have the whole world and they come up empty. Why is that? Because life 
isn't found in the body. It isn't found in the soul. It's found in the spirit, a spiritual connection with God. That's why Romans, Paul told the Romans in Romans 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Your spirit's dead. Romans 5, 12, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. And if we die physically while we are dead spiritually, then we will die eternally. We'll get what we chose. We'll get what we deserve. We'll be separated from God forever. And the bad news is, since we are spiritually dead, there's nothing we can do to change our situation. That's why we tell people all the time, God's not sending people to hell. He doesn't have to. We're all on our way there naturally. We need God to intervene. We need God to save us. The good news is, God can save us, and he did. In Ephesians 2, verse 4, that's why Paul wrote, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God did it all. We could do nothing. So God did everything. It's the gift of his grace. It's his unmerited favor. That's why Paul said in Romans 5, verse 17, if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Pastor Rich put it like this on day one in his book. Our salvation is a free and perfect gift from our loving Savior. We cannot contribute anything to its purchase nor can we contribute anything to its maintenance. It is pure grace. We deserve death, and God gave us life when we believed in the death, burial, resurrection, and appearing of Jesus. People, that is good news. That's the gospel. It's the gospel of his grace. And not only did his grace give us life when we deserve death, but the gospel is the good news of God's grace that gives us love when we deserve wrath. Paul said in verse 3 of Ephesians 2, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Sometimes wrath is deserved. Many of you know I grew up in rural New England. We do things a bit different there. I was the oldest of three boys, and we were just a little bit apart, so as we grew up, we did a lot of things together. We shared the same bedroom, had the same toys, had the same experiences. In the wintertime, we would bomb each other. We'd divide up sides two against one, and we'd bomb each other with snowballs. In the spring, we'd do it with rocks because we didn't have snowballs. I'm serious. We'd make divide up teams, get two piles of rocks, get behind a log or something, and we'd be throwing rocks at each other until the rocks were gone. Great. You've heard the phrase, you got rocks in your head? I really do. One day, I was out shooting my bow and arrow. I had a target bow, which isn't terribly powerful, you know, one of those old wooden things, and 
had some target arrows. They got little metal tips on them, but they're not terribly sharp, but they stick in a bale of hay or whatever. And I was out there in the yard shooting my bow and arrow, getting bored shooting at these targets, and I saw my brother Kevin run across the yard. <laughs> and I thought, I wonder if I could hit a moving target. <laughs> so I pulled that thing back, and, and I found out I could hit a moving target. <laughs> I hit him right in the leg. Now, it bounced off, and I thought, no harm done. My brother did not see it that way. In fact, <laughs> it apparently hurt quite a bit. I just have to tell you, I have never, ever in my life seen anyone this angry, ever. Now, I was the oldest, but my brother was so hopping mad, he terrified me when he came. He came running after me, finally caught me, grabbed my bow and arrow, pew, busted it over his knees, and he kept coming after me, talking about something about how much he loved me. That was not exactly what he was saying. It had something to do with the fact that if I ever did that again or he got his hands on me, my life was going to be shortened in some way. <laughs> my brother was angry. And he had every right to be. I deserved that wrath. What I had done was stupid. It was selfish. It was dangerous. And it was wrong. I was gratifying the cravings of my own flesh, my thoughts and my desires in the moment, thinking nothing of my brother. People, you and I may not do it very often with a bow and arrow to somebody, but we put our thoughts, our cravings, our desires first all the time, and we leave in our wake a path of destruction. It isn't about what God wants or the other person wants. It's what we want, and that's where we live. That's what sin does to us at times. That's why I was thinking about that this week when I'm reading this, deserving of wrath. I'm thinking, God, how angry you must be at sin and what it's doing to the world you created and what it does in me and what it does to others that you love. God said, wrath is directed toward sin. And we were by nature deserving of it. That's why he said in verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. We're sinners by nature and by choice. Our lives in sin proves that wrath is deserved. All of us also lived among them. Who's the them? The people who are dead in their transgressions and sins. The people who are rebelling against God. The people who are aligning themselves with Satan's disobedience. Those who are not living to please God, but those who are living to please only themselves. That's the them. I was there. But the good news is, by God's grace, he didn't give us wrath. He gave us love a love we didn't deserve. That's why Paul said in verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved because of his great love for us. That word love is the word agape. We hear it all the time. God's unconditional love. But there's another side to this. The unconditional love of God. But it's the same word that Paul's using that describes the love that God has for the Son. And what Paul is saying, because of God's great love for you, which is the same love he has for Jesus, he has saved you from that wrath.
But grace can't be given to us without God's wrath and justice being poured out on sin. God's wrath has to be appeased. We call that propitiation. Sin has to be forgiven. We call that atonement or justice. So here's what God did. God poured out his wrath on Jesus so he'd be fully justified in pouring out his love on me. You want to see what the wrath of God can do? Look at the cross. Because that's where he poured it out. Because God's wrath has to be poured out against sin, and it was. So with justice fully met, God was now justified to pour out his love on me. That's why Paul said in Romans 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Peter put it like this in 1 Peter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Therefore, we are to live out our response to this good news of his grace by living a life set apart for God, a life as a saint. A saint isn't some kind of gospel superhero that you can pray to to intercede for you. That's a total invention. A saint is a Christian whose life is to be set apart for God. Before, my life was set apart for me. Now my life is set apart for God. Before I lived for my purpose. Now I live for God's purpose. That's the definition of being a saint. That's why Paul told the Ephesians in chapter 5, verse 1, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy, the word is saintly, people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. doesn't mean you can't tell a joke or laugh or have fun. It means there's not a coarseness to it. There's not a crudeness to it. There's not an obscenity to it. We have nothing to do with that anymore. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as an idolater. They're not worshiping God. They're worshiping something else because people who worship God don't live like this, he said. 
Such a person's an idolater. They have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 5, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we are here on this earth or home in heaven, we may live together with him. We deserved his wrath, but we were given his love. People, that's good news. That's the gospel, the gospel of his grace. And not only life instead of death and love instead of wrath, but the gospel is the good news of God's grace that gives us heaven with Jesus instead of hell without him. Paul put it like this in verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. Sky Jathani wrote a book called The Divine Commodity. It came out a few years ago. And in that book, he was telling a story about a trip he took to India with his dad. And while walking the streets of New Delhi, a little boy approached them. They described him as a skinny little guy, skinny as a rail, naked except for tattered blue shorts. His legs were stiff and contorted like a wire hanger twisted upon itself. And because of his condition, the little boy could only waddle along on his calloused knees. He made his way towards Sky and his father and cried out, one rupee, please, one rupee. Sky Jatani described what happened when his father eventually responded to the boy's persistent begging. What do you want, my father asked. One rupee, sir, the boy said, while motioning with his hand and Bowing in deference, my father laughed. How about I give you five rupees, he said. The boy's submissive countenance suddenly became defiant. He retracted his hand, sneered at us. He thought my father was joking, having a laugh at his expense. After all, no one would willingly give up five rupees to a boy like him. So the boy started shuffling away, mumbling curses under his breath. Most people would have just forgotten about it, dismissed it. After all, the boy was cussing him out. Not exactly the attitude you want to give to. The sky Jatani said, my father reached into his pocket, and hearing the coins jingle, the boy stopped. He looked back over his shoulder and my father was holding out a five-rupee coin. He approached the stunned boy and placed the coin in his hand, 
The boy didn't move. He didn't say a word. He just stared in disbelief at what was in his hand. My father and I passed him, didn't say a word, crossed the street and proceeded on. A moment later, the shouting resumed. Except this time, the boy was yelling, Thank you! Thank you, sir! Bless you! He raced along on his two callous knees, crossed the street, and came after us once again, but this time not for money. This time, he came to bow and touch my father's feet. Someday, you and I who have believed the gospel and received it, you and I are going to have a moment like that with God. When you stand in heaven with him and realize in disbelief what God has done for you, you'll be overwhelmed. You'll be shocked. And you won't be able to press low enough to the ground just to kiss his feet. It's like the now famous song by Mercy Me. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. And when we're there, seeing God in all his glory and ourselves seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, then we will know grace. Paul said, we're not only rescued from hell, we're seated in heaven with Christ. You see verse 6? And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He raised us up with Christ. Literally the phrase is raised with Christ. Just as God raised Jesus up and seated him in the place of all power and authority, so too God has done that for us. Christ was raised, we were raised when we believed, and we have received the good news. We're just waiting for the consummation. Seated us with him. Seated us together with him. We are seated with Christ and share in his glory and his reward. You didn't know that? Romans 8, verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are called children of God. The Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. That's our inheritance. We're going to get everything that Jesus has. We're going to be seated with him in the heavenly realms. That's why it says in Romans 8, verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 
And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Pastor Rich refers to them this week in the workbook, Five Golden Links of Our Salvation. God in his grace has done it all. He foreknew us, he predestined us, he called us, he justified us, and he glorified us. Past tense, it's done. We couldn't do it, so God did it. That's why Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13, he said, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Why do we preach the gospel? Because we believe it. You believe it, then you'll speak it. Paul said, you believe it, you will speak it. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly, we are wasting away. I don't care how much oatmeal you eat. We are wasting away. Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. You're not getting weaker. You're getting stronger. In fact, someday you're going to get so strong, you're going to blast out of this old body that can't hold you. We're not getting nearer the end. We're getting nearer the beginning. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Pastor Rich said this week, near the end of his devotionals in day five, Paul made it abundantly clear in this passage that God's plan for all of his children is to glorify them by conforming them to the image of his son, Jesus. That's what God's grace does. That's what God's love does. The ultimate illustration of God's incomparable grace is a heaven populated by sinners who've been transformed into the image of Christ. We shall be like him, and we shall see him as he is. That's why the Apostle Paul said, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages... He, God, might show the incomparable riches of his grace in us, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We deserved hell without Christ. And he gave us heaven, seated in his glory with him forever. That's good news. That's the gospel. That's the gospel of his grace. This week, I was um, really enjoying the things that Pastor Rich wrote. And... um, I love the little summary he made near the end on day five. This is what he said. Kind of wrapped it up for me, this whole thing about grace. 
Rich said, I've often told people that we won't be giving each other high fives when we arrive in heaven. And we won't be celebrating our great victory over sin and death. We won't be reflecting upon our faithful service for the Lord. We won't be rejoicing in the many sacrifices we made for our Savior. We won't be filled with the great sense of personal accomplishment and making it to heaven. And we won't even be thinking about ourselves. So it won't be about us. It never has been. When we see our glorious Savior face to face, we will finally fully comprehend the immensity of his amazing grace. We will fall on our face at his feet in utter humility with an overwhelming appreciation of his incomparable grace and mercy and generosity. We will be awestruck when we finally grasp the full scope of our salvation. We will fully comprehend what it means to be delivered from eternity in the hell we deserved, and we will begin to fully comprehend what eternity heaven really means. We will begin to fully comprehend what it means to be chosen by God, made a member of his forever family. We will see our precious Savior and be like him. It will be all about him and what he has done. It always has been. We will celebrate, worship, and adore him in that moment and forever thereafter. That's heaven, grace triumphant. People, that's the grace God has given us. That's good news. Good news that deserves to be shared. By grace you have been saved through faith, Paul said, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. So no one can boast. By grace you have been saved. It's God giving us what we don't deserve. We deserve death. He gave us life. We deserve wrath. He gave us love. We deserve hell without Jesus. He gave us heaven forever with him. That's good news. That's the gospel. And it's still saving people who believe it. Which is why we who have been entrusted with it are called to proclaim it. Which is why our memory verse for this week is so powerful from Colossians 1 and verse 6. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world. Just as it has been among you since the day you heard it. And truly understood. God's grace. That's why Peter said in 2 Peter 3, verse 17, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. And all God's people said, thank you, God. Thank you. I felt this week a little bit like a beggar boy on callous knees. I, I don't know what else to say. I couldn't save myself. I can't live this life by myself. I can't get the glory by myself. You've done it all. It's good news. It's the gospel. Lord, help us to share this message wherever you take us. More than that, help us to live this good news. That people can see you in us and believe the gospel of your grace.
And we'll thank you, Lord, for all that you do, all that you've done, and yet will accomplish by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.